0: Now, would you turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians? We're continuing our studies in 1 Corinthians. We come to a difficult section this morning. I hope you'll bear with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and we're reading from uh, verse 6. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it's not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed spiritual, or a better translation would be spiritual truths to those in correspondence with spiritual words. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord as so as to instruct him? but we have the mind of Christ. Amen. And we know God will always bless the reading of His own inspired Word. remember a number of years ago hearing of a a young woman uh, who was at university and through the Christian Union, she had come to faith uh, in the Lord Jesus, and she went to her minister, a renowned liberal, to tell him that she had uh, become a Christian. And when he heard this, He, uh, in a very dismissive way, explained to her that in getting saved, she had made the greatest mistake of her life and had committed intellectual suicide. You see, in him, the words of chapter 1 and verse 18 were fulfilled, that the word of the cross is folly or foolishness to those who are perishing. From that Greek word morai. Which is translated as folly, we get our English word moron. It's a message for morons. Uh, That was his understanding of that girl, and the understanding, I have to say, of most unbelievers. That is what Paul has been at pains to point out uh, in the section that we considered in our last study that the message of the gospel runs contrary to human wisdom and human understanding. And the Corinthians, who were um, obsessed with Greek philosophical schools and thinking, uh, that was a, a shock and a blow to them. Now, that minister didn't know what he was talking about. His arrogance was only matched by his ignorance, because some of the greatest minds in the history of our world have been true believers and followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul McFarland at the prayer meeting uh, on Tuesday night talked to us, uh, spoke to us about Robert Boyle from Liz, Moyle, uh, sorry, Liz Moore uh, down in Cork, who uh, produced Boyle's Law on chemistry, pressure of gas and all of that. Or one thinks of Alexander Fleming, the inventor and developer of penicillin, or uh, William Thompson, later Lord Kelvin, who produced the first and second laws of thermodynamics. Or one thinks of John Calvin. His biographer says of him, his influence goes far beyond the borders of the church. From uh, his ideas in politics, aesthetics, science, history, and dentistry, he has influenced so much of uh, Western culture and Western thinking. In fact, when he was on his way to Strasbourg to take up the life of an academic, uh, he had to pass through Geneva and he was apprehended by two of the reformers there, William Farrell and Peter Verrett. And uh, they persuaded him to stay for a disputation, a discussion that was taking place with the Catholic clergy of Lausanne on the subject of the Reformation. So, 337 clergy were invited to the discussion, 200 turned up. They accused the Reformers of all kinds of heresy, and much to Farrell's annoyance, the Calvin just sat mute and said nothing. On day three, they charged the Reformers with having uh, or holding St. Augustine and the early church fathers in contempt. And while Farrell was trying to process his response, Calvin stood up and from memory and without preparation quoted one early church father after another, uh, demolishing their arguments and demonstrating that what the Reformers taught was uh, was actually in line with the early church. A Franciscan friar, John Tardy, one of the most vocal opponents prior to the disputation, cried out, "'I ask God for pardon for everything.'" I said against his honor and asked pardon for all here. I defrock myself henceforth to follow Christ in his pure doctrine. In the next three months, eighty monks and nuns and a hundred and twenty of the clergy that attended uh, that meeting were won over to the Reformation. And Calvin responded to them without preparation, and from memory. And was only, only 27 years of age. For one thing says John Owen, Vice Chancellor of Oxford University, one of the greatest Puritan minds ever, or Jonathan Edwards, who was fluent in Greek, Latin, and Hebrew at the age of 12, and was elected the first president of Princeton University, and is described by a secular historian as one of the greatest minds ever to grace the American scene and we could go on and on. Some of the greatest minds in history occupied themselves with what is considered to be the foolishness of the world. So, far from committing intellectual suicide, Christians have embraced a wisdom that has occupied the greatest minds in the history of the world. The gospel is foolishness, but it's foolishness to those who are perishing, But as he says in chapter 1 and verse 24, to those who are called, it is the power of God and the wisdom of God. It is a true wisdom. Look at what he says there in verse 6. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it's not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. Now, that word mature, as the authorized version has it, or perfect, as we have it in the ESV, means to be grown up. It means to come to an age of understanding. But it can also be used of a a group of people, and the writer to the Hebrews uses it, of Christians who have come to a collective understanding, who have come to perfect knowledge. And uh, what he is saying is that the the Christian has matured. He, in that sense, is wise. He's come to understand certain things that the non-Christian ha- has not. So, the contrast in verse 6 is not between Christians, some Christians who ma- are mature and some who are immature, but the contrast is between Christians who are mature, who understand things that the unbeliever doesn't, and the immature, the unbeliever, the foolish, who don't understand what Paul is saying. Paul teaches that he is teaching a wisdom that is altogether different than the wisdom of this age. It's a wisdom that comes from God. Not the wisdom of the rulers of this age, the thinkers of this age, the movers and shakers of this age, the intellectual of this age. Not that kind of wisdom. It's a message of wisdom, but it is altogether different from the wisdom of this age. So when a person becomes a Christian, far from committing intellectual suicide, They're opening for themselves a storehouse of wisdom that previously they were oblivious to. Like Archimedes, they can shout, Eureka, Eureka, because they have discovered something much greater than water displacement. They have discovered something about God and His glory that they never knew before. Not only in the gospel are our hearts opened to the love of God, but our minds are open to the wisdom of God. And so the reason that minister thought that this young member of his church had committed intellectual suicide was because he hadn't come to understand the true wisdom that comes from God. The, the gospel was foolishness to him. It's possible to be clever and not to be wise. You can, as Spurgeon said, have clever devils. And so it's true that some of the greatest minds in the history of the world have been truly wise. But it's also true that some of the simplest minds in the history of the world have been truly wise. And it's also true that some of the greatest minds in the history of the world have been really foolish and some of the simplest minds in the history of the world have been foolish too. And that's the subject this morning. It's this wisdom, this true wisdom that comes from God. And I want you to notice three things. First of all, the nature of this true wisdom. Paul says three things about this wisdom. First of all, he says it's hidden. Look at what he says there in verse 7. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God. The Authorized Version says we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Now, that word mystery doesn't mean something that is hard to understand or a puzzle that needs to be solved, but it's something that was hidden. That it was difficult, not difficult to understand, but difficult to find. A secret that we cannot penetrate. Look at what he says there in verse 9. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love Him, these things God has revealed. Now, um, I can think of three verses in the Bible that I want to give the award to the least understood and the most misapplied in all of the Bible. One of them is Jeremiah 29 and verse 11. I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you ripped out of context and applied to people it never was intended for. Another one is Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and sup with him, a verse that was never intended for non-Christians but for Christians. And are uh, for a church. And the third one would be this one here. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those that love Him. That's a misquoted verse because that has nothing to do with the glories of heaven. Absolutely nothing to do with it. Uh, he's speaking about this wisdom that is hidden. And he's speaking about the normal ways in which we acquire wisdom or we acquire knowledge by sight, by instruction, and by thinking, by looking, by hearing, and considering. But Paul says the normal ways in which you acquire knowledge will not do when it comes um, to this wisdom. You cannot uh, acquire it through normal means. Look at what he says there of the rulers in Israel. He says, none of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Here were Jewish rulers, men who spent their lives studying the Old Testament. What was the Old Testament about? The Old Testament was about the coming of the Messiah, the coming of Jesus. And and after a lifetime of scrutinizing and analyzing the Old Testament, What did they do when He came? They crucified the Lord of glory. The one they had studied about was the one that they crucified. And why did they do that? Because they did not understand God's wisdom. They they didn't understand it with the eye, with the ear, or with the heart, or the the heart in Scripture is really the inner man, the, the mind of man. And we see that all around us. The faculties of theology in our universities are full of people who have devoted their lives to the study of these things uh, and the Scriptures, but they do not possess true wisdom, true wisdom. The same is true in school. You can get an A-star in your GCSE RE or in your, your A-level RE. You acquire the knowledge, but still remain a stranger to true wisdom. And the reason for that is that, that true wisdom is hidden, and you cannot grasp it through the normal ways of acquiring knowledge. No eye has seen by seeing, nor ear heard by listening, nor has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love Him by considering it uh, cannot be acquired in that way. So, this true wisdom is hidden. Secondly, it's old or it's eternal. Look at verse 7 again. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. The NIV says before time began. The New Living Translation says before the world began. The authorized version says before the world. Do you see what uh, Paul is saying? The, the, the Greeks were always taken up with new trends in philosophy. The Jews uh, emphasized history and the continuance of history and God's plan and purpose for His people down through the ages. And Paul says, don't you think this is something new? Don't think that this is something that's uh, been conjured up in the imaginations Of the fertile minds of the apostles. This is as old as time itself. That Revelation tells us that he was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world, that in God's purposes, this wisdom, this gospel was planned and purposed. David Pryor, in his little commentary in 1 Corinthians, says God's wisdom decided on Christ crucified as a way of salvation from eternity before we were created. This isn't something novel, he says to these Jews who emphasized their their history. He says, this isn't something new. This isn't something that has recently appeared. This is is as old as time itself stretches back into eternity. So, this wisdom is hidden. It's old or eternal, and then, thirdly, it's revealed to us. Look at what he says there in verse 10. These things God has revealed to us through his Spirit. You can't understand or appreciate this secret wisdom because it is hidden from the natural man. It must be revealed, it must be shown to you, it must be disclosed to you. And it's the Spirit who reveals this wisdom to our hearts. Look at verse 10 and 11. These things God has revealed to us through His Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of the person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. You know, sometimes it's hard to tell what people are thinking. Even your wife sometimes it's very difficult to… Uh, tell what she's thinking. You think you know what she's thinking, and you say a penny for your thoughts, and then she comes out with something completely different that you, you hadn't even uh, imagined. And only a man knows what he is really thinking in the depths of his heart. And so Paul says, only the Spirit of God knows what God is thinking, knows what God is planning. We can't see or understand that, but but the Spirit of God knows, but the Spirit of God then reveals this to us. He reveals the deep depths of God to us. So, true wisdom cannot be found in a school or a university or even in the university of life. It can only be found in God alone. And that's why a child of five or six in a primary school can display more wisdom than a professor in a university at 56. That child becomes aware of his sin. He sees something of the, the reason that Jesus died, and he says, he died that I might be forgiven. He died to make me good, that I might go at last to heaven, saved by his precious blood and he comes to a true understanding of wisdom. You don't have to be intelligent to be wise, because true wisdom is given rather than spiritually given, rather than intellectually grasped. It's something that God reveals to us rather than something that is acquired by us. So, here then is the nature of true wisdom. It's it's hidden. It's old and it's revealed to us by God. If you just turn back to Matthew chapter 11, to the words of the Lord Jesus, and Matthew 11 in verse um, 25, he says, at that time Jesus declared, praying to his Father, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding, and revealed them to little children. So, little children had acquired this wisdom rather than the the wise of the world. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. So, this is the nature of this wisdom. The second thing I want you to notice is the means uh, of this wisdom. We've discovered that these things have been hidden from man and must be revealed by the Holy Spirit. But we've got to ask ourselves, then, how does the Holy Spirit reveal this wisdom, these deep things to us? And Paul answers that question in two ways. He says, by the inspiration of the Word of God and by the illumination of the Spirit of God. So, first of all, by the inspiration of the Word of God. Look at verse 12 and 13, verses 12 and 13. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, But the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Now, the question comes uh, when we look at verse 12 and 13 who are the we? Who are the we? we have uh, received not the spirit of the world. Does he mean himself? Does he mean we in terms of the the Corinthians and himself? Or does he mean the apostles? Now, it's interesting in verses 1 to 5 of chapter 2, you have the word I, I, I all the way through. But then in verse 6, you have this change to we, we do not impart wisdom. Verse 7, but we impart a wisdom, and hidden, a secret and hidden wisdom. And then in verse 12, he says, we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit is from God that we might understand what God has freely given us. And what he is speaking of here is not the royal we, but the apostolic we. And he is saying, look, we have received this wisdom, and we teach you this wisdom, we impart this wisdom to you, and we interpret spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. That, I think, should be translated not simply to spiritual people, but as the NIV translates it, Spiritual truths in spiritual words. The New American Standard Version, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. What he is saying is that we as apostles have been teaching you and revealing to you the wisdom of God with words that God has given to us, spiritual truths that he has given to us, that the very words, That we have are from Him. It's the same truth that uh, Jesus taught in the upper room when He said in John 14, I will, when the Holy Spirit comes, when the counselor comes, He will uh, remind you of all that I have taught you. And then later in John 16, He says, when the Spirit comes, He will lead you into all truth. That's not a promise for every Christian. That's an apostolic promise that when the Spirit comes, He will lead you into truth. He will remind you of what I taught, and He will lead you into all truth so that the words that you write will actually be the Word of God. Now, when I stand up to preach, I preach the Word of God, but I only preach the Word of God in as far as it is true to this book, this Word of God the words that come out of my mouth might be true or not true, but every word that comes from the mouth of God is His Word, and that's how He reveals His wisdom to us. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing the Word of God, Paul says in Romans 10. James says He chose to give us birth. How did He give us this new birth? Through the Word of truth that we might become the first fruits, a kind of firstfruits of all who believe. Think of how you became a Christian. How did you become a Christian? Well, you became aware of, of your sin before a holy God. How did you know that you were a sinner? Through the Word. Then God revealed to you the beauty and the wonder of Jesus, and you were magnetically and irresistibly drawn to faith in Him through the Word. And that's how we become wise. As William Newell put it, years I spent in vanity and pride, caring not my Lord was crucified, knowing not it was for me he died on Calvary. By God's word at last my sin I learned, then trembled at the law I spurned, till my guilty soul imploring turned to Calvary. Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. By God's Word at last, my sin I learned, then trembled at the law I spurned. So, this wisdom, you know, in New Age philosophy, the truth is out there in nature, or the truth is in here, in, in yourself. No, no, says Paul, true wisdom is to be found in the Word of God, because the Word of God is the revelation of God, that the very words of Scripture are given to us by God. So, He gives us His Word. Uh, He gives us this wisdom by the inspiration of the Word of God, and secondly, by the illumination of the Spirit of God. God's Word in itself is not enough. I hope nobody misunderstands that statement, but look at what Paul says in verse 14. The natural person, the natural man, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Do you see that? Do you see what Paul is saying? The natural man, the NIV says, the man without the Spirit of God does not accept the things of the Spirit. They're foolish to him. The message of the cross was foolishness to those who were perishing. Why? Because they couldn't understand them. Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Spirit, says you cannot understand the gospel. You cannot understand true wisdom. Even though you have a Bible, you cannot understand it without the illuminating work of the Spirit of God. The natural man receives not the things of the Spirit. He's talking about man's inability to grasp spiritual truth and spiritual wisdom. Can a blind man make himself see? Can a deaf man make himself hear? Can a dead man raise himself to life? Not at all. There must be an external force brought to bear upon him. Now, the Spirit of God must impress the truths of Scripture upon his conscience. And a man may spend his life reading the Bible and never come to a true knowledge or a true wisdom because he needs the Spirit to reveal that to his heart. Martin Luther said, the Bible cannot be understood simply by study or talent. You must have the influence of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 14, so emphatic, so black and white. He is not able to understand them. That unless God enlightens a person, they cannot understand this wisdom. They're always going to remain Indifferent to it. And that's why we pray. That's why we have a prayer meeting every Sunday night at 6 o'clock before the the service begins because we're conscious that it's only God can illuminate the heart and impress the truths of the gospel upon the human heart. Only God can do it. Do you know what it is to have the Spirit illuminate your heart? that you understand the facts of the gospel, the historicity of the gospel, and all of that. You can even argue the theology of the gospel, but it means nothing to you. You're casual. You're indifferent to it. And the Spirit comes, and He works upon your heart, and suddenly there is this, this interest. There is this understanding. There is this uh, love that, that is kindled in your heart for these eternal truths, and you come trembling to faith in the Lord Jesus, knowing that it was for you He died. Do you know what that is? That's the Spirit's work. So, how do we gain this wisdom? Well, through the, the Word which He has given to us. It's Spirit-inspired. Even the very words that we read are from Him, and by this illuminating work of the spirit. Our time's really away. But just notice verses fifteen and sixteen to the result of this true wisdom. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one, for who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. Paul says that the spiritual man, that's the man with the spirit, in contrast to the natural man. Without the Spirit, he is able to judge all things. He's able to evaluate and scrutinize and estimate. A judge, when he's making a judgment, he needs all the evidence before him. But the non-Christian, he hasn't the evidence because he's oblivious and ignorant of this this true knowledge. But the, the Christian, he can make that assessment because God has given him the mind of Christ. Do you see that? I mean that's staggering. So the non-Christian comes and he can't tell what happens. He He can tell me refraction and why rainbows occur and how colors have different frequencies, but he can't explain to me why that happens. He can tell me why gravity keeps us attached to the face of the earth, but he can't tell me how the earth spins without an external force acting upon it. He can, he can tell me about providence and the reasons for starvation and suffering, and he can diagnose the, the, uh, the things that give rise to war, but he can't tell me uh, why those things happen in the way that they do. But the Christian understands in redemption, he can tell me about the historicity of the, the gospel. He can tell me about the theology of the gospel. But only the Christian really understands what it means. And why is that? Because only the, the Christian can judge all things. And he can be judged, the unbeliever can't judge him because he doesn't know any of this. He doesn't know why he comes to church. He doesn't know why he's devoted his life to God. He doesn't see the glory of God, the majesty of God, the eternity of God. He doesn't see the love of God displayed at Calvary's cross. He, he, He can't judge a Christian, but a Christian can judge. And here's the reason. Listen to this. He has the mind of Christ. Isn't that staggering? Staggering. That the Christian has the mind of Christ. That he sees uh, and understands and uh, assesses things in the way that Christ does. Because the unbeliever hasn't the mind of Christ. He can never come to a true assessment. But the believer, since his conversion, he has the mind of Christ, he has the Spirit living within him. And so that old minister who accused that girl of committing intellectual suicide was himself committing spiritual suicide because he dismissed the greatest wisdom that this world has ever known. And only those, only those who have the mind of Christ can understand the significance of what it means to be a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.